welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, and we are picking up again. It's been a while, but we're back to our series on contemplation. And today I have with me my co-host, Deacon Mark Danis. Deacon Danis, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Francis. Thank you for uh, making time. I know it has been a while since you and I have been able to pick up on this study. We've both been very busy, but I am looking forward to both picking up with this a section of uh, Father Haggerty's work and continuing on to the completion of this book because it it is a um, an important work and I think uh, a time when um, so many need to hear what counsel Father Haggerty has to provide, of course, through the writings of our great St. John, John of the Cross. And that book that we're talking about is called St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation by Father Donald Haggerty, Ignatius Press. So that is our springboard for this conversation. And this series is entitled Exploring Contemplation with St. John of the Cross. I believe today's um, podcast is number seven in the series. And um, it has been a while since we've been together. We've had, um, yes, a very active schedule, um, but also some uh, trials in life that we've been dealing with. So uh, we uh, appreciate our listening audience patience with us and your prayers for us. And we're so happy to be back. And, you know, this transition from our meditative prayer or discursive prayer to meditative prayer to this contemplative stance in prayer. Um, requires us to do some things differently, and we have talked a great length about that. But today, we're going to specifically zero in on developing a pure but active receptivity to God in this contemplative prayer. And as always, we'd like to begin with a prayer. So I'm going to ask Deacon Danis, would you please lead us in a prayer? Absolutely. I'd ask us all to bow our heads. Recollect ourselves, enter that interior dwelling, and find that place of peace. Heavenly Father, we turn to you today, asking that you continue to infuse a desire within us to encounter you in the deep, in the darkness, in this quiet time, we ask you to enlighten us through these writings and through our conversation on any obstacles that may impede our progress and how we should respond in this new phase of encountering you. We ask the intercession of St. John of the Cross, the Blessed Mother. We put all this at the feet of our Lord. We thank you, Lord. We ask all this in your most holy name. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Mark. So St. John of the Cross tells us that um, it's fairly early in a person's life is when they develop a very serious spiritual life, so serious effort, that this grace of contemplative prayer can be offered. Would you like to clarify what that means? Well, I think um, it could come at any number of stages for a person. Let's distinguish first between an individual's uh, given age, maturity, and so forth, uh, measured in in uh, human terms. <clears throat> we know, of course, Therese and 
Elizabeth of the Trinity, they all had these experiences and brought them to consummation fairly quickly. Um, and for others, Teresa of Avila, uh, even to some extent, John of the Cross, uh, the experiences came later because they had more to teach and more to share, which we now benefit from. Uh, but in terms of the spiritual journey, um, when we begin a more serious pursuit of that, again, for some, it may come very quickly within a year. In fact, John says right off in the beginning of this chapter, one year of faithful observance and generosity in a stricter religious congregation can sometimes suffice to bring someone into this encounter. Now, obviously, uh, the vast majority of our audience, I suspect, are seculars, lay people, and have other obligations. They're not living within uh, the halls and uh, walls of a convent. But still, we can develop and, and adopt monastic-like practices in our life. Serious commitment to prayer, detachment, uh, leaving behind so many of the things of the world that serve as distraction. And I take John's words uh, at face value, and, and I find them very encouraging. A strict um, effort of observance, even in the course of a year, uh, can bring somebody to a very intimate encounter with the Lord. If it takes longer, that's okay. For Teresa of Avila, obviously, it took much longer. And as I say, my personal belief is that that was because it would be necessary for her to take some of the switchbacks and the setbacks even uh, so that she could teach us about them. And it did take for her some 19 years after early successes uh, for her to um, re-encounter and deepen her intimacy with the Lord, practicing these very uh, principles that we're going to discuss here. So both on the temporal order and in the spiritual order, uh, it can come quickly, but we should be patient. The timing is the Lord's. The only thing we can do is delay it. We can never accelerate it. We can only delay it. But the timing is ultimately the Lord's. And we should be patient with that. And like you said, this isn't just for the religious in the convents and the monasteries. This is open to all souls. And so it's depending on how well we are living this spiritual life, how well we are developing the virtues. And so, um, but there was a mindset at one time in the church that, Oh, uh, since I'm not in the monastery, this isn't for me. So uh, it's very clear. John John the Cross makes it clear, too, that it is open to all souls that yes. are um, seeking that spiritual um, life. So when a soul is praying uh, at first, of course, they're they're doing vocal prayers. Then they do the discursive and then into meditation and um then the, the Lord kind of weans us from the, the sensual part of the world, the touchy-feely type things, into more of that spiritual. Um, and so we're going through this transition on uh, developing uh, a spiritual appetite. And then God is going to wean the soul from what it knows into this contemplative stance. And um, so it leaves the sensory part of the soul in dryness. And I'd like you to elaborate on that for us. Well, you explain it well. We're in a transition. And and in a transition, you cannot, you know, there's a, a phrase in business, what got me here won't get me there. And, and so we can't continue to practice our prayer life in exactly the same way. Listen, you know, people who've been married for a number of years, I suspect we're not responding and engaging with our spouse in the same way we would have done as young children, you know, 20s and, and even 30s. 
the the relationship develops, it matures, it becomes more intimate uh, in knowing each other. And so we change our approach somewhat. And that's what's happening here. And it moves, by the way, I think it's fair to say uh, from, you know, those things that are more of a temporal nature to a deeper intimacy of of coming to know your spouse um, in, in a much deeper way. That's what's happening here. And so we're transitioning off our active participation. We're not as responsible even for the circumstances and the practices that led us to this vocal prayer, meditative prayer, use of the imagination, detachment, all of those things were necessary prerequisites. But as you read, the sensory part now, meaning that which I have come to rely on, my ability to read a scripture verse, image it in my mind, put myself into the scene, and then have a, uh, a sort of, um, you know, uh, emotional or psychological reaction, always geared towards love, always geared towards love, obviously. But now that is being withdrawn. I, I can't seem to do it. I can't seem to create that imagery as effectively as I used to. I may feel bored by it. I might find it tedious. And it's not a deficiency. It is the Lord beginning to take over. He's not going to allow us exclusively now to rely on our own um, um, capacity for moving this relationship forward. He's going to take control. He's going to move more to the interior, as you described, Francis, to the spirit in our nature, we are both spiritual and natural or material beings, uh, and he's moving us closer to the spirit. And there will be a sense of um, destabilization, if you will, that what we have done in the past is no longer working to give us satisfaction. That, that's the consequences. We won't experience the same measure of satisfaction in prayer, but we should persist in it. It only means the Lord is taking over. And so when you say we must persist in it, that's when some people think, well, I'm on it. I got to keep trying to do what I'm doing. But the point that that you're referring to here is that we do have to surrender to God in this prayer and let him take over. And that's where, as Carmelites, we've also often um, talked about being passive. And yet you and I are going to point out that this passiveness is really requiring us to have an an active receptivity. So there are things that we can do to be actively receptive in our passivity. In a sense. Yeah, yeah, no, <clears throat> it's very. And some people think. I'm sorry. Some people think passivity means I don't do anything, but that's not true. Yeah, it's very important that we get our language correct, and you've done a good job outlining the the lexicon, if you will, the the language that we're talking about. So. Um, receptivity is an important word here. Receptivity doesn't suggest in any way lethargy, right? We're not sitting like a lump on a log just saying, well, I'm waiting for the Lord. I'm just sitting here waiting for the Lord. No, no, no. We are actively engaged in this. There's another term, though, that we need to uh, surface, and that is the term surrender. When we feel that destabilization, when we feel like we're no longer in control, which is exactly what we should feel, we have to surrender to that. Then we move to what you described as this active receptivity. And the analogy that I used, Francis, before we came on the air in our brief discussion is imagine yourself in a darkened room, a completely darkened room, 
but you do hear sounds. You may be familiar with the layout of the room. Let's say there's furniture and doorways in various places that <clears throat> you might be familiar with. But in the complete darkness, you rely more heavily on your sense of sound. You want to hear what may be going on. And let's assume that, in fact, there is movement within the room um, without speculating on what it might be. Your sense of hearing becomes very attuned in that moment. That's what we're talking about, not a diminishment of our capacity to receive, simply a transition from one of sight and movement to one of hearing. Now, it's not a, a perfect analogy. Um, there will be still uh, the, the involvement of the senses on some level, but it's movement from light to darkness, moving into the interior where we will not be able to make an interpretation of exactly what's happening to us. Um, the, the, the consequence is this need to surrender to what's happening, not being in control, and then turning with God, to God rather, with a loving attention. Again, the focus is always the same. A loving attention. What does that mean? That I'm in love with what God is doing with me now. I'm not going to struggle. I'm going to surrender to it. Even though I can't control it, I can't create it, I can't manifest it as much as I might desire to do those things and might even try to do those things. They'll, they'll serve as impediments now. But it's a loving attention. The word um, that I really like, uh, which was actually provided by uh, what is, uh, someone who's known as the French Carmelite, John of St. Samson, um, used to use the word aspiration. Think about aspir I aspire to something, right? Uh, and that's what's happening here is my loving attention is an aspiration for the surrender to what God wants to do to me without being able to control it or dictate it. All right. So um, that can happen very easily for some people, but others, they're like, they're not comfortable with this. And so they feel like they need to be doing something, um, which is unfortunate because that's the that becomes an obstacle. And when you say um, entering into to this receptivity, I'm thinking entering into the mystery of God. We don't know all about this mystery. We what we know about God is minuscule compared to the infiniteness of God. So it's it's that entering into that mystery. And so um, we don't know what to expect. But John of the Cross is trying to help us prepare us so that we understand how God is working in the soul. So, again, it's that weaning away from being in control to letting God be in control and being more receptive to him being in charge, which is really a, a wonderful thing because in the end, you let God take over. And, yeah. and that's a really... Now, I, I do want to suggest, though, that we we are not completely without options here. In other words, um, Father Haggerty points out, you know, at the beginning of this, if you need something to sort of calm yourself, to... Um, reduce that that uh, sense of destabilization that that you may be experiencing because I can't just now pick up a Bible verse like I said before and do my meditation and go through my lexio and boom 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 I've got the rules and I know what I need to do and I know what's going to happen if we're in need of something like that he gives us a bridge he says 
maybe just a single psalm or a verse rather from a psalm or the Jesus prayer is a good way of sort of allowing yourself to enter in. What are you trying to create? You're trying to create a state of equilibrium and of interior peace. Now what may be distracting you is that you're not in control of the method, but if you want to move beyond that, just very simply, um, uttering a phrase over and over and over. We know the effects of the rosary in doing this. It is an interior calming of the spirit and not putting it to sleep. Again, we want to emphasize, it isn't like I want to just lull myself into a, a, a state of uh, you know drowsiness. I want to enter in. And when I enter into that darkness, like the room analogy, I want to become very actively receptive to what may be communicated to me. Do I have to perceive it? Do I have to hear it even interiorly? No. And in fact, Francis, we talked about, I'll let you describe this. We talked about the potential dangers of a desire for something akin to a locution or a vision or something that is more, um, you know, very, very much understood, but would be a supernatural phenomenon. But this is not what we're desiring. This is not what we're seeking here. Go ahead and offer what you had shared with me before we came on. Well, yes, as you become more receptive to God, some people have this expectation. Okay, now, you know, because people often say, do you hear the the Lord speaking to you? (laughs) I hear that a lot in Bible studies. What is the Lord speaking to you? And some people are like, well, I'm waiting to hear him actually speak, you know, whether audibly or interiorly. Um, in in a more extraordinary supernatural sense than this. And and so that's not what's happening here. Now, this is on a deeper level, like like you had uh, expressed. This is um, probably more reliable because um, there is no um, there's no meddling of the evil one that can occur which, you know, St. Teresa of Avila is always talking about what to watch out for and how the evil, the world can meddle in uh, when there are uh, extraordinary manifestations that happen. But in this sense, um, I think once one person said to me, um, you know, it's like, you know, you always take a book with you to to prayer. And then finally, you're just like, you just want to throw that book down and you just instead of reading about God or thinking about God, you just want to be just be with God, you know, just sort of like a leaf floating on the top of a um, an ocean or not an ocean, but a, a sea and let let yourself be carried. So it's it's uh, enjoying the ride, you know, enjoying the little waves uh, and the direction of the tide or the river that that takes you rather than trying to row your boat <laughs> or yeah. trying to steer. Um, so that, I, I like that analogy really well. Yeah, I think that's a very good analogy. You know, we so we push our boat off the shore and in most cases to make progress, we have to row. But at some point, are you willing to put the oars up into the boat, lay your head back and, and, you know, sort of look at the sun and hear the water lapping up against the side of the boat and let the boat go where it wants to go. That's a very uncomfortable thing for a lot of people, especially if yeah. they've been, you know, sort of very deliberate in their prayer life, very active in their prayer life. This is a more difficult transition. But Father Haggerty does say, though, and I like this analogy close to your own, Francis, we surrender to God perhaps most fully in prayer when we do what comes most easily. 
It's quite easy to lay back in the boat. It's work to row. But here we're saying surrender into what it is that God may be calling you to. And if if you need that, you know, sort of bridge that I described a short verse from a psalm, that's okay. Repeat it to yourself, but don't meditate on it. Just use it to sort of lull you into a state of active receptivity. That's what we're talking about. In fact, go ahead. Well, I was going to say acts beyond that. Those that are sort of intentionally trying to create this situation will inherently, uh, um, you know, impede it. They they will make it more challenging for you to enter into that. So it isn't, again, you can use the verse, but but don't think about the verse. Use the the repetition, but don't become focused on, you know, what is it that that I'm experiencing now? It's, it's a relaxation into receptivity, which in and of itself is active. You know, when we first talk to souls about um, silence and prayer, some people find creating silence around them just physically um, is, is, I mean, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I always have the radio on or the TV on just for background noise. They're not comfortable with silence. Yeah. And it's that same kind of transition to being able to enjoy and embrace silence outwardly that now happens interiorly uh, in, in a more spectacular way in the sense that this is drawing you to God, where the other one was just drawing you to a quiet. And in a sense, um, I was glad that Father Haggerty pointed this out. He said that uh, when a soul feels like they're at a loss at what they're doing, he's like, this is a sign of purgation. You're being purged from, you know, that being in control to, you know, letting go and letting God and learning to surrender. And, you know, that we don't know it all. And, you know, God knows what he's doing. And, you know, John of the Cross is trying to teach us this so that we can um, understand it better and be more receptive. And that's the whole point is to become actively receptive and to you know, do what we can to purify our receptivity to God. Yeah. Some of the terms that <clears throat> I mentioned the lexicon earlier, and these are right from uh, John of the Cross's Living Flame of Love. Some of the terms that uh, will recur in the explanation of this experience are unhampered, idle, quiet, peaceful, serene more according to the mode of God. This describes God. All of these terms describe God. And imagine we're we're trying to become um, more and more like God so that we can listen to God. In fact, again, from the living flame of love, God's speech is the effect that is produced in the soul. This is the way God communicates to us. You brought it up before. So often when we hear about visions and locutions and various other supernatural phenomena as means of um, of our heavenly father communicating with us these things can become distorted not by god but by us we all have varying human experiences and you know our our memories get involved and you mentioned the possibility of course the enemy can get involved uh, but but there are ways that um the message can be sort of set off in a um in a inappropriate trajectory or uh, some measure of miscommunication. The more that we enter into this list of terms that I just went through, unhampered, idle, quiet, peaceful, serene, the more our experience becomes akin to that, 
the more receptive we become, we are made uh, or we are disposed to hearing what it is that the Lord has to communicate to us. And we shouldn't think, as you said so well, Francis, we shouldn't think that we're going to hear an interior voice let alone an exterior force. But you know what I mean by the interior voice. We oftentimes had that experience. I've so often in my life had an experience, you know, where God said, this is what's going to happen or um, be ready for this. And I could affirm that that's what was communicated. But here we're beyond that. We're even deeper to the interior of the spirit. And he is speaking peace into the very solitude that we have allowed ourselves to enter into. God is speaking peace. One thing that is a consequence and a benefit of this is when you come out of this prayer, however long you may engage in it, there will be this pervading and pervasive encounter and experience of peace. And that's one of the ways of affirming that you've, in fact, uh, been brought into the, the um, presence of God is uh, God only imbues peace and this serenity. So that's the, the experience when we come out of it. One of the things that Father Haggerty said about this state when we are trying to be receptive and attentively receptive he says the simplicity of a watchfulness for the one sought in love which i like that a watchfulness for the one sought in love is a special effort needed at this time when our soul feels little and yet has no inclination for the discursive uh, reflection and it reminds me of you know you and i have both been in the military and we we I've seen and understand when somebody's gone on a tour of duty, you know, maybe they've been away for three months or four months or they've been in the war somewhere and now they're coming back and you're waiting for the plane to touch down. And, you know, that the spouse is sitting there, the family's sitting there watching, waiting. They're not thinking about a lot of things. They're, they're just waiting for when they have eye contact with their beloved. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so when you take that kind of imagery and you put it into this interior, now it's not like you're going to see an image, but that sense of expectation and waiting, uh, and watchfulness, that's what I really like about that analogy. Yeah. Um, we've both discussed Francis. I think we've shared it in our conversations here on, uh, Carmelite conversations that father, Haggerty does tend to layer over the key points he wants to uh, communicate. I would say in this chapter, the the most consistent word he uses is receptivity. <clears throat> but he also uses a phrase that I really like, um, and then I think it is descriptive of the of the condition that we're talking about, and that is quiet anxiety. Quiet anxiety. Again, if I go back to the analogy of the darkened room. There's going to be some measure of anxiety, isn't there? I'm in the dark. I'm totally in the dark. Do I move this way? Do I move that way? How many steps can I progress and so forth? Um, oh, there's a sound over in the right. You know, I often use uh, this analogy when I'm talking about contemplative prayer in the middle of the night. You wake up in the middle of the night in your bed. You know the room, but you're shadowed in darkness. And every sound seems to, you know, uh, take on its own life and is enhanced. And, and you become very aware of it. Again, um, the same experience. But there is some measure of anxiety, and it's okay. It's a good anxiety. It shouldn't cause fear or trepidation. It's an anxiety that heightens our senses, heightens our awareness. Mm -hmm. And so I like that quiet anxiety. I am quiet. I'm stilled. I'm serene. But I'm a little anxious in terms of anticipating what is going to happen next. Where is the Lord going to move? Yeah, and I think that zeroes in on because this is new. 
This is a new way of praying that we're not really familiar with. And we've only read about or heard about, but we've not maybe experienced. And so there's a certain anxiety in the newness. And, oh, am I doing this right? Or what should I be doing or not doing? Or, you know, uh, yeah, to try to dispense with all that and just give that loving attention to God. That And in a sense of that longing, that yeah. desire for God. And I would think in our society today, in our culture, with things so messed up out there, this hunger for God would be increasing more and more in more souls because they see how decrepit things are are um, and are evolving into without God. And so yeah. the need, the hunger for God is growing. Yeah. Well, you, you lead us right into the next section, which is this active dispossession, um, except becoming poor and dispossessed of self. Uh, Father uh, Haggerty emphasizes, of course, drawing again from John of the Cross and even from Scripture here, whoever does not renounce all possessions cannot be my disciple. We know that word possessions is far greater than material possessions. It's anything. It may be our reputation. It may be relationships. It may be our health. Uh, it may be any one of a number of things that the Lord is challenging us to uh, become detached from, not having expectations, not putting uh, expectations on the Lord as to how these various elements of our life should play out. And in fact, I thought Father used uh, Father Haggerty used a very good analogy. He says, you know, doing good works in life may seem to require in a parallel way doing good things in prayer. Sometimes we hold on, we are attached to our comfort in a methodology of prayer. And this is something else the Lord is saying, no, you must be poor, you must dispossess, you must detach yourself from the way that you have attempted to encounter me in the past. And, and that may be effective as, as relates to meditation and so forth. But now we're moving beyond that. What has worked for you in the past will not work for you in the future because now I'm taking a greater role in our relationship and I need you as the contemplative um, to allow me to come to the fore and and sort of uh, lay out the terms of how the relationship is going to advance. So I thought the analogy to the way we think about um, doing good works is sometimes the way we think about doing good prayer. This is what good prayer is. I do all these things. And God is saying, no, it's, it's time for me to take over. Yeah, so you're basically emptying the mind and scholarly people might have more of a challenge with this because they're so used to working with the intellect and the mind. But, you know, instead of understanding something about God or even seeking to understand, this is what makes the big difference. The soul simply believes. That's what Father Haggerty says. And I'm like, yes, it's faith. It's a pure faith. Yeah, we're moving from knowledge. He says that somewhere here. I know where I remember reading it. And understanding, he uses that word. Um, and in fact, says uh, from John of the Cross, transitions, transcends rather the intellect and is incomprehensible, inaccessible to it. So we're not seeking knowledge here. We were seeking knowledge when we were doing meditation earlier on. Mm -hmm. I want to know more about the Trinity. I want to know more about the role of the Blessed Mother. I want to understand more about um, you know, the, the Eucharist and its significance in my life. These are admirable pursuits in the course of meditation. But now we're not seeking uh, that level of knowledge. We're moving beyond that to this being present, being 
um, you know, before the Lord, as you said, believe, um, we can rely on faith. It's not about I need to be validated in my human understanding. We're beyond that because our human understanding and our capacity is limited. We're moving to simply believing. And how does that happen? As you said, an emptiness of the mind, uh, contemplation as a mind emptying uh, practice. Not that I'm, I'm, you know, ignorant, unaware of all that I have acquired before, but I will not let it influence what God is trying to communicate to me now. And it's not the mind emptying of the new age movement. Right. It's not that. Yeah. And um, it, it's that longing for God, that attentiveness to God without putting parameters um, and concepts and feelings all involved. Right. Yeah. And we're going to have to move to that terminology, which so many people struggle with. We should also, I guess, stop here for a moment, Francis, and share something with our listeners that we discussed before we got on the radio. And that is, this is where most people get hung up. This is where most people, frankly, will sort of end up stopping in their spiritual journey. So it's very important to understand. And it's not that they're unwilling or, um, you know, fearful or ignorant. Um, It's simply a place where people don't like to feel the measure of destabilization and and the inability to control they want to sort of dictate the the outcome and so forth this is moving beyond that and john says very distinctly here thus it advances the soul that is by darkening itself for faith is darkness to the intellect why is that that in and of itself could be an entire program but <laughs> why is faith the darkening of the intellect The intellect has limited capacity. It is always colored by its own individual experience. We all have individual lives and different experiences. And if we limit ourselves to filtering knowledge through that uh, prism, it's always going to get tainted. What God is trying to do is communicate to the pureness of our receptivity, and that's our spirit. So there is a darkness as regards the intellect. I will no longer be able to run the calculation A plus B equals C. You know, I'm moving to an interior understanding. It is every bit as affirming. We should emphasize this. It's every bit as real to the person, to the spirit of that person. But if you were, for example, to come out of an hour of contemplation and then somebody asks you, well, what did you experience? What did you discover? You should find yourself somewhat unable to articulate it. It isn't of that you know, level, it's it's moved beyond the intellect and our capacity to communicate it in language. John, I've so often said, you know, himself says, it's a, say, I don't know what, you know, and he, he says it, it, it's beyond my ability in some cases to communicate. So it's important is, that we realize there is going to be a, a darkness in, in the intellect in this regard. And this where, um, in talking about contemplation, um, John the Cross tells us that Uh, God himself is infusing light into the intellect, which is one of the faculties of the soul, and then love into the will, which is one of the other faculties of the soul. And sometimes one or the other will predominate. So I'll let you elaborate on that. Yeah, so he will give light to the intellect um, in ways that help to resolve some of that destabilization In other words, he doesn't want us completely lost. So there are going to be moments of insight. Uh, We might characterize them as wisdom, uh, but they are um, feeding to some extent the intellect, but really it's the interior, right? It's the the faith component of our intellect. So 
Um, how will I know this? I'll talk to the will in a moment. How will I know he's infused light? When I come out of the experience, and, and when I, I say that, I don't want people thinking, oh, so I went into an hour of contemplation, I came out, and that was my experience. No, 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 we're talking months at a time, right? So you look back over the course of many months of actively engaging in this act of contemplation, and you will begin to get insight into things that weren't the subject of your reflection prior to this. They weren't something you read in a book. You just know, you just have a, a, a deep and abiding understanding about certain things within your relationship with God that you did not acquire through human means, through the, 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 the act of intellectual pursuit. The same is true with the will and love, charity, um, months at a time, engaging, being in the presence of God and allowing him to communicate directly to our spirit. We begin to not only understand things about charity, but we begin to experience things towards other people, towards God, towards the saints. We, we might increase, an example would be this, we might increase and all of a sudden uh, experience a deep and abiding affinity to a particular saint and just love that saint, love reading about that saint, love being in that saint's presence, love talking to that saint. Um, and we wonder, where did that come from? I didn't spend a lot of time with that person particularly, and I'm talking saints now, so not in the material sense, um, but we all spend time with saints. So um, all of a sudden, there will be this, you know, sort of uh, desire to, to, to associate yourself with that particular saint, uh, and you won't necessarily understand where it came from. This has happened with me, Francis, I've shared so many times, with Elizabeth of the Trinity, uh, with St. Andre in, in Montreal, uh, two saints who I have a particular affinity towards. Um, and I don't know where it's born from. I don't know where it comes from, other than those are individuals that the Lord has directed me to. And I, I just gobble up uh, Elizabeth's writings or, or uh, events and circumstances of, of the life of St. Andre. Uh, so those are ways you will be able to validate this. These are ways that you'll be able to say, yes, I think this is beginning to happen to me. It's usually after the fact, uh, but nonetheless, those are some of the manifestations of it. Well, in fact, St. Therese of Lisieux in her story of a soul gave a great example saying it wasn't in the times of prayer that she received the lights, but it was after she came out of prayer that all of a sudden when she was guiding one of the other novices, because she was put in, in a position of, of leading them um, where she would give, you know, the inspiration, she would say, to tell them how to deal with an issue. So, and and even also in her case, she um, had a dream about a mother prioress that she never met, but she had this dream about her and had no affection toward her at all. She was the foundress of France, of the Carmels in France. And then all of a sudden, She's having this dream about her, and now she's just filled with love for her. Um, and it, it was she goes on at length talking about that. So it's kind of um, hard examples of, how, of a saint and yeah. how this is acting. Yeah. John uses another analogy to explain that very phenomena of the intellect and the will uh, advancing. He says all of this is similar to the feeling of warmth of fire without seeing its light or the light without feeling the fire's heat. So uh, the Lord is going back and forth between infusing our intellect with light and infusing our heart with the warmth of, 
uh, fire uh, of his love. So uh, those are, are good analogies. Uh, no analogy is perfect, but they, they help us get a sense of how this uh, process might work for us. All right. So um, the will then is like blindly inflamed with its desire for God. And it's wonderful that it keeps increasing. That's a good sign that the soul is being receptive to God, right? That's a critical sign, actually. That would, you know, um, we've given examples of what some of this, uh, how it may manifest itself and what the experience might be. But but an increased desire is always true. Remember, um, you know, until the moment we close our eyes for the final time, we will always be increasing our desire for God to the point where the last great suffering of saints, if you um, want to be, uh, you know, clear about it, is that they, uh, as so often they have said, they die of love, right? They die of this incredible desire. Paul was the first one to express this when he says, well, I want to be, you know, with the Lord in heaven, but I have my responsibilities here, but I really want to be in heaven. You can see in the interior struggle. And, and so many great saints, Therese and Teresa of Avila, John and even Teresa of Calcutta, they write about this, this desire, this love, this fire, literally consuming them, just yeah, consuming I think them. You know, Teresa Vala's poem, I die because I do not die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And insatiable. That are the, the, those are, are apt explanations of the latest stages of the spiritual journey. You find it in the great saints, certainly the mystics, because uh, they were able in this case, to articulate something of their experience. And they use things that we would understand, fire and love and, and light and so forth. But but it is literally being consumed from within by this fire, this insatiable desire to, to express love to the Lord. We've now experienced it in such a deep way. The only response of a soul in that condition is to want to return it. And the greatest trial for souls in that condition is to realize they can't return it on the measure they're receiving it. And that's what ultimately consumes them. Uh, so, yeah, great, great uh, uh, imagery for for understanding the, the later stages of the spiritual journey. So um, getting back to the basic, though, the essential requirement here is not to interfere with what God's doing. Right. Right. Not allowing um, the desire for satisfaction. So even here, we create or we encounter, really, we don't create anything. We encounter this experience. We leave us a, a particular time of prayer. And maybe the next time we enter, we're going to want to try to recreate it, right? That's inevitable. We're, we're going to go right back to basic principles. Well, it worked for me before, so I'm going to try it again. And oh, so we'll, we'll get the the Don't lighting be attached light. to anything, though. Don't be attached to any experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. That That's exactly what he's saying here. The will must release itself from any appetitive drive to take possession of a particular satisfaction or feeling. So it was a wonderful experience. It was a wonderful encounter with the Lord. And you know what? I may not get it again for months. I may not have that validation that, yes, I was in the presence of God in a, in a more intimate way than previously. I may go some time uh, without that. Now, God always wants the desire to be there. So again, he's going to balance the phenomenon in a way that stimulates the desire never to diminish it, but we should not use that desire to attempt to recreate it. That's what, what Father Haggerty is, uh, is well, counseling us. I want to hit a quote from St. John of the Cross on this very thing. It's if anybody is using the book, 
It's on the bottom of page 255. It's uh, from John of the Cross, from his living flame of love. And it says, one therefore should not be disturbed for the will makes progress if it cannot dwell on the satisfactions and pleasures of particular acts. For by not turning back in the embrace of something sensible, that's detachment, right? It goes forward to the inaccessible, which is God. And so it is no wonder if it does not feel him. To journey to God, the will must walk in detachment from every pleasant thing rather than in attachment to it. It thus carries out well the commandment of love, which is to love God above all things. This cannot be done without nakedness and emptiness concerning them all. Spoken yeah. from our doctor of the church. Yeah, very well said. Obviously, we would expect that. Uh, Father Haggerty sort of puts a capstone on this, probably our closing comments here today, Francis. It is the nature of this pure love to instill detachment of self and to replace concern for self with an attachment to God. That's really what's happening here. You know, we've, we've explained the process, we've explained the phenomena, we've explained the uh, validation that you've been in that encounter. But what's really happening here is this movement away, this detachment from self and replacing that concern for self with an attachment to God. That's the process of becoming a saint. That's the the uh, experience of, of entering into and, and deepening our encounter with God is that we become less and less focused on and concerned with ourselves. And boy, wouldn't that be in and of itself uh, uh, medicine, good medicine for so much of our modern society, you know, <laughs> where we live having to post our, our opinions about everything uh, or gathering the, the perspective of, you know, thousands of others who may uh, be uh, uh, in our community of Facebook or X or Tweet or, you know, all that other stuff, which I personally stay out of. I don't get into any of those forums. I think they're all rather destructive and dangerous, despite their ability to connect families. I think there are better ways. But that aside, um, this is this is good medicine for the the uh, psychological phenomena affecting so much of society. Detachment from self replaced with attachment to God. That's right. And. And one of the words that you used at the very beginning of this podcast was surrender. So okay. when you're detached from yourself, you surrender to God. And it's that that longing for him, that desire for him. Yeah. And that will lead us into this um, recept, this pure active receptivity that we were talking about. All right. Well, that is uh, uh, wrapping up uh, this chapter which was chapter 11 in the in Father Haggerty's book. Uh, next time when we come together, we'll be talking about the darkness, the inner darkness, and um, what John of the Cross teaches us about darkness in contemplation, which is important to know because a lot of people think of it as something um, spectacular and uh, extraordinary. And so uh, I think we've busted that idea today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talked about, um, obviously, the, the method and the approach and the disposition of the heart and so forth. Uh, but this next chapter, we'll talk about some of the challenges, right? Um, we, we can understand the, the way to go, but there are many challenges along the way. And we need to recognize them and identify them and know how to respond. And so that's where Father Haggerty, with the use of uh, John of the Cross's writings, will take us in our next conversation. All right. Would you mind closing us out with a prayer? Absolutely not. 
Again, bow our heads, enter into ourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this conversation. We thank you for this invitation to go deeper into our encounter with you. We ask, Lord, for the grace to both identify and remove any impediments. Help us to practice an active detachment along with this quiet anxiety that infuses in us a continuing desire to burn with love for you, to look past ourselves, and to be transformed into the image of the one in whose image we were created, our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask the continued intercession of the Blessed Mother and of our guardian angels and our Carmelite saints. And we ask, Lord, all this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Deacon Danis. And so uh, we're so grateful that our listening audience has joined us today. And we look forward to continuing um, discussion on this. And we're hoping it's helping you. Feel free to drop a comment to us um, and see our previous podcasts by going to www.carmeliteconversations.com. And until we meet again, don't forget, keep praying. God bless.